I have often remarked that I believe that one of the biggest problems within the modern church today is that we don't know who God is. We have forgotten who God is. But I think another aspect of that is that we as believers don't truly know who we are. But when we don't know who God is, then it's, it's very easy for us to not know who we are. But we know that our God is a holy, righteous God. And this morning, I want to... What, what prompted me to preach this message this morning was, uh, in our Wednesday evening Bible studies, we've been talking about apologetics, about uh, sharing the gospel, how to go out and present the gospel to those that are lost. And one of the things that we talked about was that, that we need to remember that that is a command of the Lord. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Every believer has a uh, duty to do this in obedience to God. And one of, the, one of the aspects of that is I share what God has done for me. In presenting the gospel to someone else, I say, here's where I was, here's where I am now, and then I present the gospel to explain why I'm different now. But many times I have found that we don't understand where we are now. We don't understand who we are as believers. We don't understand the, the, the blessing that we have. You know, throughout the Bible, we use the word, we, we use the word Christian to refer to those that are saved. Did you know that in the New Testament, the word Christian is only found three times? Only three times. And every time it is found, it is usually a term of derision, of mocking towards believers. But did you know that the phrase, in Christ, or in Him, occurs almost 200 times in the New Testament. That's how Paul referred to himself. Let me set the context of where we're at here in John 15. Jesus and the disciples have just eaten the Passover. Jesus got up from the table. We find this in John 13. Jesus got up from the table. He stripped down. He put on an apron. He went over to the corner and he poured a basin of water and he went and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. Right? Now, think about this. The one who was God in the flesh, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, humbled himself to a position of the lowest slave. And he washed the feet of the disciples. Now, that, that's, that's another sermon. But I want to get us to where we're at now. Judas has gone out. Jesus has sent him and said, what you do, do quickly, after Satan had put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus, and he sends him out. And so now Jesus and the disciples... In John 14, we find they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And a common sight, as you walk through Jerusalem in those days, were vineyards everywhere. Over the, over, the over the door of the temple, there was a golden vineyard. 
Throughout the Old Testament, God had referred to Israel as his vineyard. And so here in John 15, Jesus is helping his disciples to understand what it means to be in union with Christ. To be one with him. And we too need to understand this. Do you understand? Let me, let me ask you something. Do you know without any shadow of doubt this morning that you are saved? Do you believe that you are a true follower of Christ? And if you do, do you know what that means? The union we have with Christ. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, he said, I in you and you in me. We are in union with him. And, and it's so important we understand this. Jesus had already begun to explain to them this truth back in chapter 14 by explaining that when the Spirit of God comes upon uh, to indwell the believer, we experience an even more intimate relationship with him. And we are united to him by a mutual indwelling. Believer, do you know who you are? Do you know what you have in Christ? To have the Holy Spirit indwelling us is the equivalent of having Jesus himself indwelling us. And in John 15, Jesus helps us understand both the meanings and the implications of that. Beginning with, with me with verse 1 of chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now before we go any further, I want you to notice what he said there in verse 8. When I ask you, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And there in verse 8, Jesus said that you may bear much fruit and therefore prove that you're my disciple. Is there fruit in your life? Do you see fruit growing? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Do all these things, do these grow in our lives? How do you think about yourself? Do you think of yourself as someone who is in Christ? Who is united to Him? You know, when we're first saved, it's because we see our need of forgiveness and our need of life that Jesus, that only he can give. But our salvation includes not only pardon from our sins, but a new identity. It transforms who we are and how we think, not about everything else, not only about everything else, but about ourselves as well. The Bible says that Jesus is in the transformation business. 
That's what the gospel does. It will transform your life. That's why Paul could say, if anyone be in Christ, he is a whole new creation. God didn't, Jesus didn't come to make me a better man. He came to make me a whole new man. And that's what he's done. Has he done that for you? How do you see yourself in this? To help his disciples understand this or grasp this, Jesus used the familiar sight, the vine uh, with, whose branches had, had clusters of grapes all over them. And, you know, vineyards were a common sight in Israel. And Jesus is using the, the vine imagery to teach them about the new reality that the Spirit of God creates within a believer. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You are nourished by your uh, your spirit effective union with Christ. He said, I am in you. I give you life. When Jesus said there in verse 1, I am the true vine. That word true means genuine. The only one of its kind. He said, I am the only source of life. And he says his father is the husbandman. But there are several, several important principles here. Number one, we notice the source of fruitfulness. The first principle is that of fruitfulness. Our growth in our Christian life depends on our union with Christ. You must be connected to the vine. There must be something there that connects that in order for there to be fruit. The branches depend on the vine to produce the good grapes. And as we abide in Christ, he uses that word there, uh, verse 4, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. As we abide in Christ, we draw our life of fruit bearing strength from him. But what does that mean? What does it mean to abide in Christ? It means to live with a sense that the Son of God loved us, gave himself for us, that he is indwelling us by the Holy Spirit, and that he knows that our life is now his and no longer my own. Is that not what we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians? Did Paul say, don't you know you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. And this is what it means to abide in Christ. We need to remind ourselves frequently that we have a new identity in Christ. Once I was lost, now I'm found. Once I was dead, but now I'm alive. Once I was a sinner, now I'm a saint. Don't get the idea that a saint is some super-duper Christian. Every believer is called a saint in the Bible. That's what we were, and here's what we are. You know, when you come to be saved, we call that regeneration. And then begins the process of sanctification. As you abide in Christ, as you live in Him and abide in Him, what sanctification is, God taking what He's already put in us and making it a reality in my life. You know, Paul said, though the inward man is renewed day by day, even though the outward man is perishing. Have any of you ever figured out that your outward man is falling apart? He needs a lot of maintenance. 
you know. This is what we're taught. This is what we find that as we abide in Christ, Jesus said, you are mine. Abide in me. Live in me. Because that's the only way you can produce fruit. Do you know why the branch even has life? Because it's connected to the vine. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Now, he's not talking about life in the sense that I can breathe and I can see and I can hear and talk and all that. He's talking about life in the sense that I have meaning. I have a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God. That's what we're here for. As we abide in him, Jesus said. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no fruit producing without it being connected to the vine. You know, this is why it's so important as believers that we have times of self-examination. Paul commands us to do that. Let a man examine himself, see whether he's in the faith. Have you ever looked at your life and said, Lord, show me the fruit. Where is the fruit in my life? You know, you and I are the fruit of Paul's life, of John's life, of Peter's life. Is there fruit in your life? And Jesus said in another place, he says, by their fruit, you will know them. You can look at me. I can stand up here and I can quote the scriptures. I can read the Bibles. I can preach the message. But when you look at my life, do you see fruit? I hope you do. When I look at you, do I see fruit? Jesus said, you can know those who are truly mine by the fruit you see in them. Of course, you know what that ultimate fruit is. But we'll talk about that here in a minute. Jesus will talk about that. Look at verse 2. He says, "Every he, well, verse 1, he says, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, why would he take it away for not bearing fruit? Because that means it's not connected to the vine. And if it's not connected to the vine, it means they're not a saved person. They're not, they're not saved. He said everything that, that does not bear fruit, uh, he, he takes it away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it that it might bear more fruit. <clears throat> One time, not too long ago, I had uh, someone give me little blackberry bush. And I planted it. And within, I don't know, two years, I mean, it grew from being like this to being about almost five foot tall. Had big, huge, beautiful, delicious blackberries on it. I was so thankful Cindy don't like blackberries because they were all mine. But one day I was out there. It was... Uh, about this time of year. And I had some pruning shears and I was just cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting. My little granddaughter, she said, Papa, why are you killing the tree? I said, I'm not killing it. I said, I have to, I have to do this to make it grow more. She said, that don't make no sense. <laughs> and I said, I know it don't. But that's what Jesus is talking about here. Vine dressers prune their vines. The pruning knife is essential to growth. And I found that when I would prune that little uh, blackberry bush, the next year, 
it grew even more. And the next year, it grew even more, and it became bigger. If we knew nothing about gardening, the sight of someone like my granddaughter would think, that's mindless destruction. Why are you doing that? But it's necessary for healthy growth to produce a stronger plant and better fruit. And notice here in John 15, we see something very interesting. We see a progression. He talks about fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. There's fruit, then there's more fruit, then there's much fruit. But you know how that happens? It happens through the pruning knife of the vine dresser, who is God himself. Now, you know that plant cannot feel pain. We can. And many times throughout the pruning process, we don't always understand what the vine dresser is doing. And we ask questions, God, why are you doing this? Don't you see how much this hurts me? And we have to trust the heart and the hand of our Heavenly Father. If we grasp the teaching that Jesus has about our union with Him, we understand this is how God nurtures us to produce more fruit. Many times that comes, maybe you're just walking through your Christian life and you're being obedient to God. You're reading and studying the Scriptures. You're, you're, you're sitting and listening to the preaching and teaching of God's Word. You're living out Christ in your life. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, tragedy strikes. And our first thought is, what did I do wrong? And many times you didn't do anything wrong. You did something right, which brings about that pruning process. And we come to the other side of it. You know, there was an old man one time, somebody asked him, said, what is your favorite verse in the Bible? He said, my favorite phrase in the Bible is, it came to pass. It didn't came to stay, it came to pass. He said, and I have found that whatever I go through, I can trust my heavenly Father. But if we want to produce more fruit, God's pruning knife can be very painful, and his purposes may be hidden from us, but we can never, uh, must never make the mistake of thinking we cannot trust God. And this is what Jesus is trying to describe to, to, to them. He's saying, look, I'm the vine. You are the branches. My father's the, the, the vine dresser. And, and, and so if there's branches that are not bearing fruit, he takes them off. He cuts them. He throws them into the fire to be burned up. He says, but those that bear fruit... He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. And then he prunes it so that it might bear much fruit. Okay? Now, do you understand the significance of bearing fruit? It is through the bearing of fruit that we glorify God. He said, in this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Do you know why you and I exist? To glorify God. That is our purpose, to glorify God. And so God will work in us, and we have to trust his hand and, and, and understand what he's doing. Verse 3, he says, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Jesus had already assured the disciples that they were clean, but they need to continue to make room with the word of Christ to work in them. All right Now, Jesus here in a moment is going to talk about loving one another. I want to go back to something back in chapter 13 that we didn't really look at, but we talked about. Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. 
In those days, when you walked into anyone's home, the first thing they did was wash your feet. Now, you may have had a bath before you came over there, but you, you, you're wearing sandals, you're walking through dusty streets, and so your feet are dirty. Jesus and the disciples are here in the upper room. And you know what the disciples were doing first? Well, I think I'm going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. You know, I'm closer to Jesus than you are. I think I'm going to be somebody. And while they're doing this, the Son of God gets up, girds himself with an apron, pours the water, and begins to wash their feet. Do you know who it was that washed feet in those days? It wasn't a slave. It was the slave of a slave. You see, when you walked, there, there were those within the household that had slaves, and they had one particular slave who was the lowest person. He was the one that washed feet. While they're arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God, by the way, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Jesus, the one who is the king, greatest in the kingdom of God, humbled himself and washed their feet. And then he said to them, if I, your Lord and Master, have done this for you, you do this for one another. You know, in washing the disciples' feet, Jesus showed humility. He showed service. Paul tells us in, in, in uh, Philippians chapter 2 that he humbled himself to the point of being a slave. And we find that Jesus told them when he came to Peter, Peter said, Lord, what are you doing? And he said, I'm going to wash your feet. He said, no, you're not washing my feet. And he said, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And he said, then, Lord, wash my hands, wash my head. Jesus said, Peter, you don't need a bath. You're already clean through the word which I've spoken to you. Okay, now that's a very important phrase right there. You're already clean. How? Through the word that I've spoken to you. All you need is to have your feet washed. Listen, as we go through life, we live in a dirty, filthy world. And we as believers, we have already been washed by the word. But we need to have our feet washed daily. Cleansed by the word of God. We need to make room and allow the Word of God to work in us. The words indicate, uh, the, these words indicate what's involved in, in abiding in Christ. The way to abide in Christ is very simple. Let His Word abide in you. That's how you abide in Christ, by allowing His Word to abide in us. The Word of Christ is the instrument of Christ. Uh, Used by the Spirit of Christ to nurture union with Christ to transform us into the image of Christ. You know that is our ultimate goal? That one day, you know, we talked about regeneration. We talked about sanctification. There's one more. It's called glorification. And that will be the day that I will stand before a holy God and he will look at me and say, You look just like my son. You act just like Jesus. That's the goal, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And how do we do that? 
by the Word of God, by allowing the Word of God. Do you want to know what God is like? You will never find it anywhere except in the Word of God. Do you want to know what God loves? Do you want to know what God hates? You will never find it anywhere but in the Word of God. Do you want to know what God demands of you? Do you want to know what commands we are to keep? You will never find it anywhere but in this book. I think that's why many people, including Christians, don't read their Bible regularly. They don't like what it says. You understand that? They don't like who they see when they look in there. But Jesus said, if we want to abide in him, we must have the word abide in us. The word itself does its own work in us. Paul expressed this same principle over in 1 Thessalonians <clears throat> chapter 2. Paul says in verse 13, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a word from men, but what it really is, the word of God, and which is at work in you believers. Is the word, is the word of God at work in your life? You know, the psalmist in 119, David said, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Have you hidden God's word in your heart? Jesus said, this is how to abide in him. And this is why it's so important for us to sit under steady, the steady ministry of the word of God. Let me tell you something, folks. I love when you come here on Sunday mornings and I get to preach and expound to you the word of God. But I want to tell you something. Do you want to really grow in your Christian life? Do you want to really have the word of God? indwell you and work on you i'm going to tell you where you do that you do that in sunday school and you do that in sunday night bible studies you do that in wednesday night bible studies more than any other time because it is then that we open the bible we talk about things we discuss things you ask questions and you learn and, and that's how we learn i want to tell you there's no better way to learn the Bible than to have a group Bible study, and, and we do that every Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Sunday mornings during Sunday school. And this is important that we sit under this. And if this is lacking, you will be very anemic in your Christian life. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine the other day, and he was there in Sherman, and he said, uh, he said, I don't understand. He said, nobody wants to come to church. He said, we can't get anybody to come. And he said, not only that, he said, my own people won't even come. <laughs> he said, I have no one in my church that I can say every Sunday, I know they're going to be there. Now, I love y'all, and I know that I do here. So, okay, I'm just, I really do have a friend. <laughs> but listen, I told him. He said, why do they not want to hear God's word? Why do they not want to fellowship with God's people? And I says, because they're anemic. They do not have the word of God dwelling in them richly. Because when you do, you will understand the importance of sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's word. You will understand the importance of fellowship with God's people. So we've seen three important principles. Our union with Christ is the source of our fruitfulness. And this union will involve being pruned by the Father 
But that needs to be nourished by the word of God dwelling in us. And then look at verse 9, and we'll read through verse 17. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The priority, the priority fruit. If you if you read in Galatians chapter five, when Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit, the very first one he mentions is love. There is love. The basic fruit that grows in the soil of our union with Christ is love. We often hear we must all just love one another. And sometimes uh, that means little more than if you loved me, you would let me be and do whatever I want. You would certainly never point out my sin. But I want to tell you, I know for a fact that Jesus loves me as his son. And I want to tell you, the first thing he'll do is point my sin out. Sometimes that hurts my feelings. You know what? He don't care. Sometimes that angers me. He really don't care. All he knows is, if I don't do something with that, it's going to kill me. And that's love. And he says here that the, the primary fruit in the believer is love. I mean, notice what he says there in verse 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. According to Jesus, true love is keeping the commandments, just as his love for his heavenly Father led for him to keep the commandments. You remember when Jesus said, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill it. You look at the Ten Commandments. By the way, do you know we are still bound by the Ten Commandments? That did not go away. Only now we don't look at a law written on stone. Because now it's a law written on my heart. You shall have no other gods before me. Why would I want another god? You see, the difference between looking at it on stone and looking at it in my heart is I will have no other gods before him because he's promised to kill me if I do. Whereas my heart says I will have no other gods before him because I love him. You know, the first four of the commandments deal with our relationship to God. 
And the last six deal with our relationship to one another. And the measure of our love is verse 12. This is my commandment, that you loved one another, how? As I have loved you. Hey, that's a tall order, folks. As I have loved you. You know how he loved them? If you go back to chapter 13, the very first verse says, Jesus loved them to the end. When he told them, when he got up and he washed their feet, that was an act of love. When he's talking with them and he says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That was love. Here, Jesus is about to go away. The disciples don't understand what's going on. They're afraid. And he loves them. And he says, look, don't be afraid. You're connected to me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. It's going to be okay. He loved them to the end. And he was going to lay down his life. For them, greater love has no man than this, he says, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. You know what he did next? He turned right around and called them friends. Would you die for me? Don't answer that. No, seriously. You know what? I would die for my wife. But would I die for June? Would I die for Laura? You know, Cindy would die for me, right? But would you die for Jubal? Would you die for Brian? Jesus said, no greater love. And, and, and when he says, love one another as I have loved you, and then he went and said, here's how much I love you, I'm going to die for you. Here's the problem with that. We can't do that. I can't do that. You see, in and of myself, I cannot produce fruit. I cannot glorify God. And I cannot love the way he's commanded me to. Unless I'm connected to the vine. Unless I'm abiding in Christ. In verse 16, we see the great doctrine of election. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. He had chosen them and called them to be his friends. That's grace. Grace spurs us on to obedience. You know, it's interesting that these very same disciples, you know, Peter said, Lord, I will go to prison with you. I'll die for you. And Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Judas has gone and for money has sold out the Lord Jesus Christ, betrayed him. You know, Peter and Judas both betrayed Christ. There was nothing, what Judas did was no worse than what Peter did. The difference was Judas was not saved, Peter was. Peter's led to repentance. But those disciples... When, when, when they were there in the garden with Jesus and the mob comes to arrest you, they all ran. They ran for their lives. It even talks about one that he ran so fast somebody grabbed his coat and he ran away naked. 
And they had all swore, we will die with you. But in the end, Jesus stood there alone. These disciples are going to see him arrested. They're going to see him tried. They're going to see him crucified. They're going to stand afar off. As far as we know, John was the only one that was there at the cross. The rest of the disciples were scared to death. Jesus is placed into the tomb. They're hiding in an upper room. They're scared to death. They just know they've killed our leader. We're next. This is all over. We just knew he was the one. How could this happen? They were scared. But then came the third day. And as they're afraid, all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. And I'm sure they probably jumped out of their skin because they're afraid. And John looked and he said, hey, it's Mary. Open the door. And Mary come in and said, you are not going to believe who I just saw. You're not going to believe who I just talked to. And John says, who, who, who? And Peter said, Mary says, you know what? Just, you're never going to believe me. <laughs> and Peter says, Mary, just tell us who it is. And she said, I've just seen the Lord. Peter and John run down to the tomb. They look inside. It's empty. The napkin is folded. You ever seen a dead person do that? You know, the napkin that covered his face, he folded it up and laid it down. And they're there in that upper room. And all of a sudden, every shadow in the room was gone because the very light of God himself and the person of Jesus Christ stood there in their midst. And you know what those disciples, you know the ones that betrayed him, the ones that were so afraid, the ones that were fearing for their life, they went out and turned the world upside down. They went against the mighty Roman Empire and brought it to its knees eventually with one thing, the gospel. You know what changed? They understood we're connected to the vine. Are you this morning connected to the vine? Are you bearing the fruit of love in your life? Are you bearing the fruit of the gospel in your life? Jesus said back in verse 5, he said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, I can stand up here and preach without Christ. I can minister to you without Christ. But you know what it's going to mean? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. One day it's just going to be burned up and gone. Jesus said, if you want to have meaning in your life, if you want to have purposeful fruit in your life, you must be connected to me. All on our own, we cannot produce the fruit of love. We cannot yield our lives to the Father uh, so that his, uh, our, our prayers correspond to his will. But united to Christ, indwelt by his spirit, all this is possible. Verse 11, he said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy might be in you, and that your joy might be full. Now, back in the last chapter, chapter 14, Jesus told them, he says, my peace I give to you. Not like the world gives, but my peace. Peter says it's a peace that passes all understanding. 
It's a peace nobody can comprehend. And here Jesus says, my joy I give to you. You know, again, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. Do you have joy in your life? Now, I, I always feel the need to express this right here. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Okay? Happiness depends on what happens to you. But joy is constant. Happiness comes from your circumstances. Joy comes from God. And it's eternal. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you. What things? Well, the things about being connected to the vine and how apart from him we can do nothing and how we are called to bear fruit and more fruit and much fruit and how the Father prunes us so that we can bear much fruit. And Jesus said, I've told you all of this so you can have joy in your life. Do you have joy in your life this morning? Being united to him by grace, uh, abiding in him by faith, and letting the word of God indwell them in obedience leads to joy. Not just joy, but notice what he says, full joy. Do you have joy? Do you have a hunger and a love for God and His Word and to obey His commandments and a love for the brethren? You know, it's very interesting what Jesus says there in verse 17. He says, these things I command you. Okay, let's stop right there. What things does He command us? Well, He has commanded us to abide in the vine, to be nourished by the Word, to let the Father uh, do His pruning work in our life. But then notice what he says. These things I have commanded you so that in order that you will love one another. Now, that's interesting. He says, I've told you all these things so that you will love one another. And if I am abiding in the vine... If I am allowing the Word of God to richly indwell me, and I'm being obedient to the Word of God, my joy will be full. And I'm going to love you. And I don't mean a love that just says, I love you as long as you do for me. Or a love that says, I love you as long as you do what I think or I want you to do. It's a love that says, I love you, period, as Jesus has loved me. You understand this? That our joy might be full, that we might have peace. And he says, so that you will love one another. But let me, let me close with this right here, because it's a very interesting thing. <clears throat> Jesus in this chapter, well, actually 13, 14, 15, and 16, and 17, he describes and he talks about what it means to follow him, to be his disciple, uh, the, the characteristics of them. There's joy, there's love, there's peace. And there's so many of us that say, you know what, I know I'm saved, I know I'm a follower of Christ, but I don't have any of that. You understand what that says? If you don't have any of that, the problem is not with any of that. The problem is you're probably not saved. 
Just because you go to church, just because you can read the Bible, just because you say a prayer doesn't mean you're saved. You know, it's, I, I've heard preachers say this my whole life, and, and I found it to be true. You know, Satan is a more faithful church attender than most Christians because he never misses service. He knows the Word of God. You remember there on the mountain with Jesus? He knew. He, he twisted it, but he, he knew the Scriptures. Of course, Jesus fixed him with what it really said. But you see the point I'm making here? Do you know? Are you abiding in Christ? Have you been regenerated? Have you been saved? Have you come to that place to where you've been born again so that you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because Jesus says the evidence of that will be fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's interesting because, you know, where I had that little uh, blackberry bush, I also had a plum tree. I also had a peach tree. Believe it or not, I had a tree that grew both peaches and plums. Yeah, we'll talk about that later, but that was cool. <laughs> but you know what happened? Well, let me tell you what never happened. That plum tree never grew a blackberry. That blackberry bush never grew a plum. And that tree that had them on both sides, well, on one side, it never grew peaches, only plums. And the other side never grew plums, only peaches. You see the point I'm making here? The fruit in your life can only correspond to who you are. Paul, in Galatians, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, but he also talks about the fruit of the flesh. Murders, adulteries, all those things, lies, all of those things. What kind of fruit is evident in your life? What kind of fruit is evident in my life? I have to, I have to stop and examine myself and see, Paul, as Paul says, whether I'm in the faith to say, is this fruit evident? The fruit of the Spirit and it's called the fruit of the Spirit for a reason. It's not the fruit of Bobby. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Because only the Spirit can produce that kind of fruit. And it's the fruit that I bear in my life. And we have to look and have to say, am I truly saved? Do I truly know Christ? Am I connected to him? Because when I'm connected to him, I'm going to be connected to his word. When I'm connected to his word, I'm going to be connected to his people. And so Jesus said, abide in me, and I'll abide in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. Father, we know that So often we fail to understand who we are in Christ, that we are new creations. Our lives have been transformed. We are no longer the person we once were. We no longer love the sin that we once loved. We now love the righteousness that we once hated. Lord, may we take the time to examine ourselves. 
no matter how long we may have been in church, no matter how well we may think we know your word, Father, help us to examine us. May we call on you as the psalmist did, said, search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, may we learn that to abide in Christ is the only way to produce fruit. May we learn that to have your word dwelling in us richly, studying, meditating, reading your word, longing, Father, to become more like Christ. And Father, may we bear fruit that you may be glorified. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's turn to hymn number 37. How great are my God's majestic name. Number 37.